Welcome to the podcast, Songs We Hate to Love, where we take a notoriously disliked song and try to make a case for it. Is it really that bad, or is it possibly the greatest song of all time? I'm Pat. And I'm Sean. And we're twin brothers, musicians, songwriters, and DJs from the Philly area. Join us as we dig a little deeper into the songs that some people love to hate and others hate to love. Before we get into the episode, if you haven't listened to Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Bega in a while, feel free to take a moment right here, pause this episode, listen to the whole song, and then come right back. If you don't need to revisit the song, we understand. Let's just get into it. Do you think people are going to listen to it and they're going to be stuck in 1999? Yep, they're going to get sucked in like a black hole right back to 1999. Pat, this is our first episode. I'm really pumped about this. This is going to be a fun ride, dude. All right. You ready to get into the song for today, Pat? Oh, I'm ready, Sean. Let's do it. This is Lou Bega's Mambo Number no. 5 that we're going to be talking about today, released in 1999. It's based off of a Mambo song called Mambo Number no. 5, <laughs> released by Perez Prado in 1949. So it was written in 1949. It came out in 1950. Okay, it came out in 1950. So all the samples that you hear of the horns and, and stuff in the song Mambo Number no. 5 by Lou Bega is originally from... Mambo Number no. 5 by Perez Prado. I don't think those are actually the samples of the horns. I think they're just copies of the lick, the horn licks. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Because they definitely sound like either MIDI samples or retract. You know? Good call. Lou Bega's Mambo Number no. 5 was produced by Gorby, Frank Leo, Donald Fact, and Peter Meisel. And the genre of the song is considered Latin pop. It charted to number three in the U.S., Billboard Hot 100, it hit number three, but it got to number one in Germany, in the U.K., and spent 20 weeks at number one in France. Why? Why did it spend 20 weeks at number one in France? I have no idea. Well, and right now on Spotify, it has about 501 million plays. And just to get a a snapshot of what was happening in music at that time, this is 1999, the top five songs on the Billboard charts at that time when Mama Number no. 5 reached its peak was Smooth by Santana was number one, Satisfy You by Puff Daddy and R. Kelly was number two, and then Mambo Number no. 5 was number three, Heartbreaker by Mariah Carey and Jay-Z at number four, and Unpretty by TLC at number five. So that's kind of the amazing snapshot of music at that time when that song was the most popular. And Smooth by Santana, I don't even know how many weeks that was at number one but that was maybe 13 or 14 weeks yeah to compete with that too is just really hard that was the song of the summer in 1999 Mm -hmm. was smooth by santana featuring rob thomas of matchbox 20 (laughs) why don't we talk about lou bega's life story here how he got to mamba number five this is pretty fascinating so he was born in munich germany his mother was sicilian and his father was ugandan that's like already just a smorgasbord of experiences that he has he lived in munich in italy 
and in Uganda at different points. And he also kind of started out being interested in rap as a young person. So mm-hmm. he had like a rap group when he was younger in his teens. So he kind of started more in the rap genre, which makes sense because when you listen to his vocal, yeah. it's just like sing rapping. He isn't Latin or Hispanic culturally at all. He doesn't speak the language. At least he didn't grow up speaking the language. Maybe he mm-hmm. does. I don't know. I haven't checked with him. Just knowing that, In the 90s, he moved to Miami, and that's where he discovered Latin music. I love that. It's fascinating. On the charts at the time, too, this is kind of part of the influence for the song, but in the 90s, there were a lot of Latin pop artists. I mean, it was huge on the radio. Because starting in, in the 80s, artists like Gloria Stefan helped open the door for artists in the 90s like Mark Anthony, Selena, Ricky Martin, Enrique Iglesias, and like a young Shakira who was coming up. So a lot of these are all stuff huge like artists that. too. And let's not forget about 1997's Macarena. I mean, we we can we can forget it if you want. <laughs> we'll definitely we'll, do an episode we'll def- on that at some point. Oh my god, yes, we will. <laughs> so he's really being influenced when he moves to Miami by Latin music. We should also note that Perez Prado, who wrote the original Mambo Number no. Five, um, that he was huge in his time. Uh, he was a Cuban guy who who left Cuba and lived in Mexico and wrote a lot of music in Mexico. But when it comes to Mambo as as a, a genre, he was he was really really important. So we definitely have to mention his influence in that. So we should play the sample of Mambo Number no. 5, the original one, from 1950. The song itself isn't very long. It's like a two and a half minute song. You're really just waiting for the lick that we all know is at the end of the song. It's towards the end. So let's play it for everyone now. Oh man, it's so fun to hear that recording. It really is. And it's really well recorded. When I hear that original recording, it it kind of makes me think, okay, I get it. Like I get why Lou Bega was so influenced by that song. It's such a great recording and such a great horn lick. It's so fun. Now it's time to talk about the elephant in the room, which is why is Lou Bega's Mambo number no. five notoriously disliked? Why do people hate this song? Or why does it have that kind of reputation about it? The way I want to start this off is by quoting the man, Lou Bega. On VH1's 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders, Lou Bega said, When I wrote this song, I believed it could be the thing it is today. All people hate it completely. That's what I thought. I knew it wouldn't swim in the middle because it was too different from all the stuff that was outside. So I'm quite happy with it. Mambo makes you happy. Latin music makes you happy. It's sexual. It's erotic. It's energetic. I think that's the point. All right. Okay. I, what else do you need to say? I mean, Lou Bega just going for Lou it. Be- Lou Bega, he knew what he was doing, apparently. So I sometimes have this idea about people who, who are writing popular music. And some musicians have talked about this before. It's like this idea of discovering a song. Like you're not just like writing or arranging or producing a song. You're mm-hmm. like, discovering it and it's like he discovered something that is so annoyingly infectious and so like not in the middle it's like such an outlier but he was just like 
screw it, I'm just going to make this song. Maybe nobody will ever listen to me again, but I know this is going to be a hit. Yeah, I almost think, like, is it more probable that if you find an outlier that it'll get popular, like as a writer, or if you just try to write yeah, things I that don't know. work within well, what's happening now? You know, Because we can call this song a novelty song, right? Absolutely. And there's a lot of novelty songs from this era that we can compare it to. The first song I think about is Sir Mix-A-Lot, Baby Got Back. And they, mm. they really do kind of make sense to put together because they're both very much novelty songs. And they're both one-hit wonders that they tried to do it again and it didn't work. On the same album, he's, he's got a song that's called Mambo Mambo. That's the last song. <laughs> so so he, it's like, he's like, he knew it. <laughs> yeah, he was really... Uh, digging in deep with it the reason why people also felt weird about it it's a kitschy song because he, he's doing kind of like a rap singing vocal that does not sound spanish speaking at all in the vocals there's nothing latin about what he's doing he's like just sing rapping that feels kind of out of place on a track like this yeah so it, it creates this kind of strange mix of sounds that feels like it's like a pop radio impression of a Latin song. Interesting. You know yeah, I, mean? I, I didn't really think about it that way, I guess because it's just been so ingrained in my head. Yeah, it feels like a caricature, especially the fact that he keeps repeating that the song is Mambo Number no. 5. <laughs> you know what <laughs> like, I mean? Like, we don't know what it is. <laughs> we were 11 years old when this came out, 12 years uh, we old were when this came out. Well, let's see. This came out in 1999. Yeah, we were 11, 12 years old. Probably just turned 12. We didn't know the context. I mean, I had no idea who this guy Lou Bega was. Oh, and yeah. knowing that he's somebody who's really influenced by Latin music but doesn't have that background, it makes sense why the song sounds this way. So what are some other tidbits here? What are some other things that you found on the internet? The biggest like article that I found, and this is from 2013, is with the guitarist from Fall Out Boy. And he, he just really doesn't like this song. One thing that he points out that's really funny is that there are a lot of songs like this at that time, right? Right. Like we, like we were talking about, yeah. Um, he and he actually calls it candy pop. He's like, Mambo Number no. Five may have paved the way for that kind of candy pop, like the Black Eyed Peas and stuff after it. But before huh. it, you can think of like Blue by Eiffel sixty five, anything yes. by Jessica Simpson. Uh, That's what he also, says. Anything by Jessica Boys. Simpson. He he just says he doesn't say a specific song. He just okay. says Jessica Simpson. <laughs> I'm also thinking of like Barbie Girl or like absolutely they all they're all kind like of that. in there. He also says like uh, Tootsie Roll and a lot of other kitschy songs like that that were mm. early '90s, mid '90s. I mean, you could you could point to a lot of songs, but Come sure. on, Ride the Train, Who Let the Dogs Out, you know, oh, yeah. all novelty songs. Even paving the way all the way up to Gangnam Style. Come on, Ride the Train and We Like to Party are like the same song. Oh, they're definitely the same song. You sing We Like to Party okay. and I'll sing Come on, Ride the Train. Are you ready? One, two, three, four. Come we on, Ride like the Train. We like, ride it. we like to party. We Come on, like Ride the to Train. Party. We like, ride it. We like to party. <laughs> I have a feeling we're going to talk a lot about novelty songs throughout this. Just throughout this whole show, I want to do like a deep dive into novelty songs, figuring out like where this started, you know? 
novelty songs are also kind of piggybacking on one-hit wonder songs too yeah a lot of them tend to be one-hit wonders well yeah Yeah. i mean let's let's see all the songs that we were just talking about they're pretty close to that so i want to head now to twitter and just kind of hit this twitter poll because this kind of gives a little bit more backing to the nostalgic positivity let's say a more positive vibe for for lou bega we're thinking about this song in a negative light because that's why we bring songs on here. But what are people's thoughts about it now after so many years of knowing what the song is and the nostalgia that they feel toward it? So back in 2020, so this isn't that long ago, someone put up a poll for music and it, they said, Mambo number five, like it or not. And it was either little bit of like, little bit of nope. And 78.6% <laughs> of the people who voted said a little bit of like out of about 5,000 people. So I'm thinking, man, I just, I don't know what I would have, I don't know what I would have voted had oh, I had done I would that. have voted yes. You, you would have the, voted yes, yeah. Our experience with this song, I feel like as young people, we just liked it. We've, we've even joked about this song throughout like our high school and college days. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you're with right. With our we friends, totally you know what I mean? <laughs> But it was always like in a positive kind of like fun way. On the Pophead subreddit, there's a guy who's talking about Mamba number five. And one of the responses is, I can't imagine someone saying Mamba number five is their favorite song unless they were like 10. (laughs) Right. And I just thought (laughs) that was so funny. Like, yeah, you're right. The song feels like it's geared toward the youngest and widest possible audience. Yeah. It's kind of like, you can't really make something that's for everyone, but this song is meant to be for little kids. Yeah. And for adults too. Like, it feels that wide. Mm-hmm. I think that Lizzo makes songs like that now. The audience is really wide. Yeah. It's for millennials, but it's also for like the kids of millennials. Oh, definitely. <laughs> you know what I you mean? You know my kids love about that time. I mean, about damn time. <laughs> <laughs> So, Pat, I have a kind of take that I want to throw at you. An observation, let's okay. call it. Let's call it an observation. In the mid-2010s, I got interested in a genre called electro swing. And it's essentially electronic, jazzy swing big band music. Mm-hmm. But it's got EDM and hip-hop and like house production. Yeah. And it really is a super fun genre. Here's two examples. This first one is called Booty Swing by Parav Stellar. And the second one is called Lone Digger by Caravan Palace. So these are two artists from the 2010s electro swing movement, but really the 1990s is when the electro swing movement begins. And the reason why it starts in the 90s is because there's also a movement at that time called the swing revival. You remember that? Oh my God. Artists like the Brian Setzer Orchestra. And Cherry Pop and Daddies. What an awful name. (laughs) <laughs> and squirrel nut zippers. 
Squirrel Nut Zipper is also an awful or good name. I'm not really sure what I feel about it. I think I like it. There was this hot second in the 90s where all of a sudden there was like big band songs. Yeah. These like kind of swing big band rock infused songs on the radio. It was so strange. But I think that's also another novelty thing. And I think that influence of that swing vibe also influencing the beginnings of electro swing. Yeah. When I hear the song Mambo Number no. 5 and I hear modern electro swing songs, I think, man, did maybe Mambo Number no. 5 kind of pave the way for songs like that? Isn't that strange? That line of thought makes a lot of sense to me. Because while Mambo Number no. 5 is not technically a swing song, it's a mambo, but it's it's a big band song. And there's this line in my brain that connects Mambo number no. five to modern electro swing songs because electro swing is a novelty. It's like two genres that shouldn't be together. And that's what Mambo number no. five feels like to me. It yeah. feels like a bunch of things that really aren't supposed to be together and they kind of are sloppy and, and knocking heads a little bit, but it works. So that's my take as far as this idea that Mambo number no. five's influence may be bigger than we think especially on a genre like Electro Swing. Mm -hmm. And everybody, if you haven't listened to a lot of Electro Swing, just go on to Spotify, bring up the Electro Swing Spotify playlist, put it on, it'll make you feel good, it'll class up any party. It's just a great vibe booster. Now it's time to make the case for Mambo Number 5. Pat, would you like to start? So first thing... The song itself, we know, is not very complicated. Lyrically, it's pretty dry. Vocally, it's fine. It's very much like nursery rhyme, not, not a ton of notes. The melody isn't very complicated. So it's very easy for kids to get into, which we already mm -hmm. discussed. That's not necessarily a bad thing. There's great songs that are like that. I think on the surface, with that kind of stuff, it's really just passing. But... When it right. comes to the production of it, it's definitely a little bit of a deviation from what was happening at the time. Okay. The music at that time, this was totally an outlier, and that's why it hit as well as it did, I think. It really stuck out in 1999. But the one thing that I don't understand, I guess because around the world it was at number one, is why didn't it hit number one in the US? Was it just because Santana and Smooth was such a, a heavy hitter? Yeah, that's probably the case. The song Smooth was such a juggernaut at the time. And this song, Mambo Number no. 5, was released as a single, so it had the ability to chart. The other thing, too, after researching the Now That's What I Call Music era, right? <laughs> the right. first CD for Now That's What I Call Music in 1999 did not have this song on it in the US. But in the UK... It was number 44, which is just right, crazy. Right, it started in the 80s. Yeah. yeah. It was on there. It made it onto, now that's what I call music, 44. And the reason is for because... For the UK. For the UK, it charted at number one. So right. they kind of had to put it on there. But in the US, it did not make it onto, now that's what I call music. And mm. it was so quick in the mind of the Billboard and pop listeners that they probably couldn't get it on the next one because it was like, this isn't even popular Oh, yeah. Anymore. I would be surprised that that song was being played at all by even mid-2000. So what do you like about the song? What I like about the song is, is the fact that it sticks out so much. 
And mm. now that I know the story of how he got there, he just loved Latin music so much that he decided to just go for it. Right. I feel like in 2023, that wouldn't really happen as easily. Oh, like, no. You could not no, do that. No, it would not. But for him to be able to just say, hey, I'm just going to take all this music that I really like, and I'm just going to kind of make something very different. And also his quote in saying that he wanted to make a song that everyone hated, not in like the the hate way of, oh man, this song is terrible, more like I can't get it out of my head hate. And I think that that's really, really telling of what he was trying to do. So the nostalgia of it, we can see that people voted yes for it. Like, hey, right. I still think this song is is great, even though it, it might not have been liked by some people. <laughs> Well, and the other song that was on that Twitter poll was the song My Humps by Black Eyed Peas. And that was the opposite. It was like 15%, 20% of people liked it versus, you know, almost 80% of people disliking it. That shows you something. The positive nostalgia versus the negative nostalgia. Yeah. There's like, okay, does this song hold up as a good song? Maybe not. But does it hold up as a good nostalgic song. Yes, it does. Whereas My Humps, it's both cringy and doesn't hold up nostalgically. You just kind of like cringe at it, you know? You're like, remember when everyone liked that song, kind of? So I'm going to give it a yay. I'm going to say yay. You're making the case for it. I'm making the case yay. And I feel like you probably have some good stuff to make the case for it. Sean, it's your turn. I'm going to start with my dislikes. All right, Are go you for ready? it. Yep. I think that his rap singing vocal delivery, it feels out of place, and it feels also pretty amateur. This is 1999. Some of the greatest rappers have made some of the greatest hip-hop music. Mm-hmm. This kind of cheesy rapping, which I feel like it's a pop tool, too. I understand that. There's nothing edgy about the rapping yeah. in this. It's mm-hmm. just like rap singing. There's something about it that feels a little too amateur, but it does add to the strange novelty of the song. Whatever. Um, I think that the melody and the lyrics are not great. We talked about that. I mean, it starts with one, two, three, four, five. Also, the chorus is him just listing seven women's names. Yep. And I don't know. That doesn't really age well. Although a, uh, a friend of mine did say that that's the only song that had her name in it. I'm not going to say who it was. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've got seven choices. You've got seven choices. And then it's fun to listen to some of these pop songs from the late 90s because it's like, it doesn't matter what genre of music it is. Does every song have a DJ turntable scratch in it? Remember when Mbop had a DJ (laughs) scratch in it? (laughs) Like everything has a turntable scratch in it. And I don't know why. It just shows you how influential hip hop music is. Yeah. Every single pop song had a turntable scratch in it including this one. I also love the the flange effect with the... You know I'm talking about? Yeah. That flange effect is so silly to me. Oh, man. And as a DJ, too, it's like you could just do it on whatever you want. It's not hard to do. You can do a whole song with that. You can do a whole song with that. I was also thinking, you know, we Pat and I do a lot of weddings. We perform at a lot of weddings. We're live musicians as an acoustic duo. And then we also DJ, Pat's a DJ. And I was thinking, we never play this song. No. We would never play this unless somebody, like the couple, asked for it at their wedding. I feel like every episode we should say, would you play this at a wedding? 
would you play this at a party or a wedding? Like, would you want to throw this on to get everybody excited? No. The answer is no. Although, I think there's a space for it if you do it in a fun, nostalgic way. Yeah. But again, it, working a wedding, we would never put this on. We also don't love a lot of the kitschier songs, so we stay away from them anyway. But we wouldn't play this one. So what do you like about this song, Sean? There's quite a few things I like about this song, Pat. (laughs) (laughs) All right, first up, I think the production is good. And I think it's very blissful. It's very feel-good. Like, I do love the vibe of it. And it's a party vibe. It's got people partying in the background. It also is pretty heavy. It it kind of slaps. There's like thickness about it. Mm-hmm. It just hits you. It just takes over. Yeah. It's like a wall of sound. Also, when I think about it in relationship to electro swing, it really has a good mixture of house production and dance music with these horns, with these like mambo band mm-hmm. or swing band elements to it. Yeah. I also love that guy who's sampled in it who just goes, ah! <laughs> At the it, end of everything. It really is like a, it's like an eclectic group of samples. Like it's just. Yeah. It's so silly. That's my favorite sample in the song. Yeah. Is the guy just screaming. It's very recognizable, ah! you know? And then lastly, I think that making a song like this and the fact that he was so purposeful about it, he's like, I know that this is a novelty song that everybody's going to be like, WTF? Like, why are you making something like this? Yeah. But the fact that he was so purposeful about it it's a funny perspective to me i I really like it it's like he made this song knowing the power that he was wielding as if he discovered it yeah you know like i was saying before it's like he knew he'd found something that was going to like set off something and people were gonna be like what is going on but also people would like it and so it would be a big song and he did it yeah it worked and that's funny to me i think that's cool (laughs) so of course because of the positive ways that i feel about it nostalgically and the things that i can find in it that are good i'm gonna say of course yay for this song yay (laughs) mambo number five you know who'd have thought we'd be talking about this song who'd have thought i mean in 1999 there were no podcasts so you could do it on the radio the way we're going to end every episode is that we're going to end with a segment that we're calling what are you consuming this week but before we share what we're consuming this week, let us know your thoughts about Mambo Number no. 5 in a voice memo. You can find the link in the description of this episode. And make sure that you're subscribing to this podcast wherever you're listening right now, whether it's on Apple or anywhere else. You can follow this podcast on Instagram at Songs We Hate to Love. You can also follow Pat and Sean Kelly on Instagram and TikTok. We do lots of videos and fun stuff that you can follow. And also, you can listen to our music on Spotify and YouTube. All right, Pat, what are you consuming this week? Well, as you know, I'm a a gamer, and uh, I'm a PC gamer. I have a PC that I game on, and also I game on the Steam Deck. For those of you that don't know what that is, it's just a handheld, basically a handheld computer. But there's a game that came out this past week, or maybe it was two weeks ago, and it's very rare that something like this happens, and I had to share about it because it's just awesome. So there's this game called Hi-Fi Rush, and it's basically, uh, if you've ever ever played the Devil May Cry series, it's a hack-and-slash game. Um, you're basically just like hack-and-slash robots and whatever. And Bethesda, 
the developer. Bethesda didn't even announce it. They released it and announced it on the same day. And I thought about, oh my God, that is brilliant. And it's really hard to do that. Because a lot of times when people announce games, I shouldn't say a lot of times, every time they do, people just try to get as much information about games. They make videos, like they try to, you know, talk about what's going to happen. Like any game that comes out, people will give you the 20 reasons why you should get this game. And you're like, okay, now I don't even need to play the game because you just told me everything about it. But this game was not even on anyone's radar, came out, and it is a smash hit. But the coolest wow. thing is, as a musician, it's all based on the the beat of the song that's playing in the game. So that's how you hit people. Oh, that's to, fun. To get the best, the best hits you can get on people, <laughs> you have to do it on the beat. So it's that's just really a cool. really, really fun game. What kind of songs are in the game? Um, so, so far... It's been uh, there was a Nine Inch Nails song. There was a, oh, so it's pop songs. Some of them. It's actually so some like of them, real yeah. song. There's some okay. spots where they use actual songs. So there's, there was a Nine Inch Nails song. There's a Black Keys song so far, and I'm sure that I missed a couple in there. But it just keeps getting better, and it's like a super slam dunk right now. They're killing it with this game, and people like the fact that they didn't know about it because then they can just discover it on their own. So that's what I'm right. consuming. Thought that was a cool little tidbit there by you, Sean. All right, so this week, I'm consuming a TV show. All right. My wife, Amanda, and I have been watching the show Poker Face on Peacock. The show is by Ryan Johnson, who did Knives Out and Glass Onion. He also did one of the Star Wars movies. So this show, Poker Face, stars Natasha Lyonne, who you would know from Russian Doll or from Orange is the New Black. She's awesome. And this show is just really fun. Her character has this ability to tell if people are telling the truth or not. Ooh. And each episode, she's like solving a murder and gets herself entwined in these like random stories. And it's like a new group of people every week. But because of this ability that she has, she can't help herself try to solve the thing that happened. I highly recommend it. That is Poker Face on Peacock. All right, guys, thanks for tuning in today. We hope that you have a wonderful week. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.